Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to Autism Conversations. My name is Lynn Wilson, and I work at the University of New Mexico Center for Development and Disability in the Autism Programs. Um, I am happy to be here as your facilitator for today's podcast. Um, this podcast is entitled Things You Wish You Knew Transition Years. Today, I will be talking with a panel of parents that will share things that they wish they knew at the time their child was transitioning into adulthood. Um, generally speaking, being a parent can be challenging, but it can also create beautiful memories for families of adult children with autism. In fact, today, we will talk about different scenarios for which we encourage you to focus on the silver lining. Our hope is that this conversation will support you. Now, I would like to introduce our panelists. Um, so welcome. Um, our first panelist is family leader and advocate Sherry Roten. Sherry has worked and volunteered in the mental health profession for 30 years and is currently working toward her degree in social work. She is a mother of three beautiful children, two of whom live with exceptionalities. Though <clears throat> through the 20 years of navigating the many complicated complicated child serving systems, she has gained extensive ex expertise in her field. It is through lived experience and dealing with similar challenges that enable her to help others. Sherry offers hope, guidance, advocacy, and camaraderie for parents and caregivers of children and youth receiving behavioral mental health, substance abuse, special education, juvenile justice, child welfare, primary medical care, and related other child serving systems. Sherry, help, Sherry helps families locate support services, programs, and learning opportunities that nurture and inform parents. Through this support, education, and access to resources, Sherry empowers parents and caregivers to be their child and family's best advocates. So welcome, Sherry. Um, our next panelist is Alberto Ortega. Um, he is a certified parent peer support worker. He is born and raised in Mexico and father of a 22-year-old son with mental health needs, working with families raising children with behavioral health needs since 2015 um, and recently hired by the autism program at UNM. So welcome, Alberto. Um, our third panelist is Jody McGinnis and Jody McGinnis Porter is a parent of two children with disabilities. Her son is now 30 years old and has autism and is on the state of New Mexico DD waiver. She's been advocating for her children since they were diagnosed at ages two and four years old. So thank you all for being here today. And um, shall we begin? Okay, so um, just to start out with a, with a question here. Um, when did the process of transitioning to adulthood begin for your child? And do you feel this was enough time? We'll first start. Okay, maybe we'll start with Jody. Sure thing. Um, my children um, began the process of transitioning to adulthood when they were in high school. And do I feel like this was enough time? No, particularly in the state of New Mexico where uh, my children had to transition to the DD waiver. Mm -hmm. um, now the, the laws have changed, but transitioning to the DD waiver was quite challenging because there was a 13 to 14 year waiting list. 
and I was completely unaware of that. Um, now, uh, the state of New Mexico has made the waiting list a lot um, uh, shorter. Um, so in starting in January of 2023, um, folks will not have to wait 14 years for adult services. But one of the things that parents need to realize is once your student graduates from high school, all of your services stop. And unless you transition to another program, uh, your children, um, even though they're adults, will be at somewhat at risk. So it's really important to start working early on on transitioning them to Medicaid services, to if they're eligible to Social Security um, disability services, and getting those things lined up well in advance because that is a very long process. And once they graduate high school, all services stop. So you want to have those items in place um, before they graduate high school, or at least have already started that process. Great advice, Jody. Thank you. Um, Sherry? I think for my, my kids, um, I had two that went through the transition process, one still going through it sort of. Um, that I, they initially started mentioning it in middle school and didn't really address it until high school. And in the beginning, when it first started coming up, I thought that it was absurd that we were talking about this now because we had so much time. Um, but like Jody was sharing, you really don't have so much time. Um, even with the decrease in weights, um, my daughter never did get on the DD waiver and um, a lot of the things we just weren't aware of what was available for those transition years um, until we as a family became aware of the DD waiver, for example. Um, Reggie was almost completely on his own at that point and it, it was near impossible to help him navigate his pro his way through that. Um, I think that they should start some of the things for transition years much earlier. Um, a lot of those life skills that our kiddos are going to need if, for independence should be started way before high school. They should already have a basic understanding of budgeting and finances and things like that earlier on so that the harder things to find like services and such can be their focus instead of oh my God, how do I cash a check? Or, um, you know, there was there was a lot of those life skills that were just completely neglected that could have easily been dealt with earlier on. Um, so was it enough time? No, definitely not. And should it have been started sooner? Definitely. Um, coping skills, life skills, those types of things could have been built upon as a foundation before we even got to the really complicated things of insurances and disability and um, work or college or, you know, all those next steps. Um, just having some of those basic skills in place as a more solid foundation would have been much more valuable for our family. Gotcha. Thank you so much, Sherry. Alberto, do you have anything to add that you would like to add? 
Well, to be honest with you, uh, transition is still happening for my child. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Even though he's 22 now, uh, he still needs lots of support. Mm -hmm. uh, lots of holding his hand uh, due to his way of uh, processing information, which usually is not very flexible. I I feel that schools and service providers in general do a good job of informing kids about all rights being transferred to them when they become adults, but no one really tells them what that means or how to prepare for it. Um, I don't know. I always thought that maybe high schools, maybe uh, um, they sh maybe they should have. Uh, transitioning to age class for, for students, which would be very helpful for kids with disabilities, but every other student as well could benefit from it. Uh, kids don't really know they, when they graduate from high school and even when they're attending college, a lot, of, a lot of kids don't really know how to balance a budget, how to even write a check, how to open a bank account, how to... Mm -hmm make their own uh, uh, appointments. And, you know, there's lots of things that that uh, kids um, don't really understand, you know, and they hear from uh, their teachers or when they have a, a, an IEP meeting or when they visit a doctor, they hear, oh, you know, when you become an adult, all all rights will be, you know, transferred to you. But, but that's about it. You know, that's all they hear. So they they really don't know what that actually means. Sure. Great points. Thank you so much. Um, I have another question. I'm sorry, I pushed mute there. Um, we talked a little bit about some things that you know we we kind of wished were covered. Um, you know, as as the kids were younger, and um, you know, and having more time to to think about the future. Um, Let's talk a little bit about student-led transition plans and in that, you know, they're created to ensure a smooth transition from child to adult systems. But looking back, are there things that you wish you would have changed, added, or taken out of your child's plan um, in planning for transition? I Jody? think I'll go ahead and go first. Sure. And I think that um, parents, if they're actively involved in their students' transition plan, really need to ask um, school providers to provide the meeting materials in advance of the meetings. I, that That is one helpful tip that has helped me, is to get those um, materials in advance of the meetings, because you need time to process what school officials are trying to communicate with you before you go into the meeting. And I also think um, there's different levels of uh, abilities and transition plans. Some students will never fully uh, transition um, to adult systems on their own. And so in, in my son's younger case, um, I had to get his guardianship and his co-conservatorship in place. And I had to do that because the school threatened to, because he had turned 18 before school was over, the school threatened to um, remove me from the meeting when my, uh, when my students or my son 
um, while he was over 18 years of old, he really only had the uh, social and mental um, abilities of, of someone, you know, eight years old. And they're asking him to make really important decisions without a guardianship or uh, a conservator to help him make those transition decisions. And so, you know, if you do need to transition, um, I think it's important that you get your guardianship and you get your conservatorship in place. And there are there are um, services that can help you do that. The New Mexico Developmental Disabilities Planning Council has um, a guardianship program to help you. In my case, because the school was threatening me, I had to hire a private attorney and paid $5,000 to expedite the process because the school threatened to do these meetings without me because my son was of legal age. And so I think that's really important when it comes to, um, uh, depending on your your child's age, when these transition plans start, make sure you have your, your ducks in a row because if you're a strong advocate, you become very unpopular with public education systems who are not um, who are out of compliance with the law, and when you point that out to them, they become very defensive and can try to keep you out of the process. Wow, I'm so sorry you had to go through that, Jody, and I, I appreciate your advocacy. I mean, you are all such strong advocates, and and I admire that. Um, thank you so much for that advice, um, Sherry. I'd like to add to that, that um, it's very important as a parent to help your child to advocate for exactly what they do want. Um, while we were going through the transition process in the high school, we experienced a lot of, well, your student can't do that. That'll never happen for your student. Your student will never go to college. And it, it's it's not impossible, you know, it's not, it, it's very possible right. for our students. And if that's something your student wants, don't listen to the school, follow your student and help your student to advocate for what they want and for the transition plan that is going to help them to achieve that. Um, one of the things that they wanted to push was to use volunteer hours for credits, which would have affected Reggie's ability to go to college. Um, you know, so you have to really be mindful of what your student wants. And if there is any doubt in your mind that your student can't do it, you know, work with others to see what can be done, but really support your student and what your student wants. Um, and, and Jody brought up a very good point with the age thing. I mean, you had a lot of those issues when they hit 14, but it definitely intensifies at 18. Um, if guardianship is something, I wish I would have proceeded with guardianship before I did. Um, Reggie had already struggled quite a bit on his own because everyone was telling him I couldn't be there. And, um, I wanted to, as a mother, I wanted to give him the ability to make those decisions, but he wasn't there yet. So look less at taking uh, that 
look less at the fact that you're taking some rights away from your children sometimes and think that if the way I started looking at it was I'm not taking anything away from my son. I'm providing him the support to get him what he needs and we're still fighting for what he wants. It was never about what I wanted. It was what Reggie wanted. So, you know, as long as your intentions as a parent are where they belong, that you just want what's best for your child and you want to help them to achieve that. Um, start those processes earlier, too. Don't wait until they're 18 or almost 18. It, it's rather daunting and can be very expensive if you wait too long. Great. Thank you so much. If I may add something to that a little bit, kind of going back to my point earlier, um, student-led um, plans um, can be a little um, tricky, I guess, because again, uh, you know, when a kid doesn't understand exactly what it means to become an adult and how to prepare for it and all of that, how can they properly lead uh, those plans, you know? Uh, I remember when my son started doing the, uh, those plans, he sat across the table from me not knowing what to say, what to talk about. And so he started asking me if I wanted to go to the movies with him and, you know, like just a normal conversation because he didn't really understand what we were supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, to Jordy's point, um, you know, I hope that listeners understand that just like they have, just like parents have, the right to invite others to meetings, uh, be it IEP meetings or whatever, uh, the parent always has the right to invite others to those meetings. Uh, that's granted in, in the law. And um, on the same token, when kids become adults, they also have that right. They, and if if their if their decision is to invite their parents, then that's you know that's what that's what can be done you know like uh, schools cannot really kick kick you out of a, a meeting um sometimes we see that school personnel don't really understand what the law says and so they make up these weird rules and they expect everyone to just comply and just accept what they say but trust me, you don't have to, and there are ways to do things, and you don't have to get aggressive or verbal, verbal, um, verbally aggressive or anything like that, you know, just, you know, know that there's always ways around all those roadblocks that people uh, place in front of you. Thank you so much. You are all such a wealth of of uh, experience and and such great uh, advice. So thank you so much. Um, I have another question, and um, that question is: When your child began using adult systems, were there challenges you experienced, and what went well? I think there's always going to be challenges and how you navigate the challenges um, is really 
critical to their well-being. Uh, when my son transitioned, um, he he did not get onto the DD waiver list um, right away, but when he did begin receiving services, there were challenges in the group home that he lived in. Um, there were challenges with his housemates um, and you know, navigating those challenges really became um, important to holding the oversight of the providers who were providing these services uh, accountable to what they were supposed to provide mm -hmm. and ensuring that uh, they are providing the services and what kind of services, making sure the services take place, um, particularly behavioral health. You know, when your student graduates into these adult programs, if they're not able to advocate for themselves as a parent, um, my son's 30 now, and I, I still feel like I am navigating the um, elementary, uh, middle school, and high school services for him. I'll have to be an advocate for him the rest of his life to ensure that providers actually provide the services they claim to say they're providing. Uh, particularly if your son is in a rural area, uh, oftentimes there aren't providers if they're supposed to receive speech or occupational therapy. Uh, these services may not be provided, but it may be on their program. You really have to ensure that um, the service providers are actually meeting the need of your 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 child or your adult child, and and so it's it's a constant. Uh, monitoring, um, advocating, verifying the services took place. And uh, I, I feel like it's almost a full-time job, even though they're receiving services, you still have to uh, follow up, uh, document and verify that what service providers say they're providing, that they're actually doing what, what they claim to be doing because oftentimes they're not. I see. Thank you so much, Jody. Sherry? What was the main challenge? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Go sorry. Ahead. <laughs> now, Go ahead, Alberto. For us, the main challenge was to find out that most of the services, if not all of the services, services that he was using as a child mm -hmm. were not available anymore. Um, okay. You know, we kind of looked at each other and went like, uh, now what? You know, um, also helping him understand that now he had to schedule his own appointments and he had to now communicate with uh, service providers. Um, you know, that was a little challenging as well because of uh, because of uh, the black or white approach that he tends to take with things. Mm -hmm. um, so those were the things that we had the most um, the most trouble with. I see. Sherry? I think that a lot of our struggles um, revolved around one of the very typical um, teenage year things for young adults to be going through. And we experienced, of course, a lot of rebellion in the tra transition years. Um, so one of the vital things for us was me teaching my kids to utilize advocates besides me as well. Um, I, I, in high school, I hooked them up with peer services 
earlier on because there were so many instances where mom was no longer allowed at visits. Mom was no longer allowed to make calls. Mom was no longer allowed to. Um, and when the child says that, that's the law and that's what has to be followed. And it's really frustrating to sit back and watch them struggling with all the new challenges and trying to be independent and sometimes falling. Um, and one of the safeguards that, like I said, was extremely vital to us was hooking them up with other advocates that could help them learn to advocate for themselves when my children wouldn't let me be there for them. Um, we've come full circle again, and I'm now, I now also help advocate for my kids, but now they're very good self-advocates as well as having that peer support in their network now that they are adults. Um, and just as vital to families is the family peer support, but it's every bit as valuable to our kids as they're going through the transition years and entering into adult systems and the changes that they're experiencing. Um, I mean, my daughter had trouble making appointments when she first started taking it over. And to most of us, that seems like an extremely easy task, but she just could not manage her way through that and wouldn't let me do it initially. And her care coordinator helped hook her up with a peer provider that was able to help teach her those things when she wasn't willing to let me do it. So never discount peer services for your kiddos. It's ever bit as valuable as it is to us families. If I can add to that a little bit, just, just a quick thought. Um, this is a period where uh, that, that can be confusing to kids because um, they are so used to having their parents uh, schedule meetings for them and tell their service providers how what's going on with the kid and you know what they're feeling and what's happening and all of that. And then when uh, you tell them that now they have to schedule their own appointments and all of that, it's kind of confusing for them because they're, they're, what they're thinking is, uh, why can't you do it? You know, uh, why don't you want to help me anymore? You know, and, and sometimes they don't fully understand that it's not the parents' uh, decision or the parents' uh, choice. You know, it's uh, it's what the law says, and it's what uh, providers are uh, um, demanding. You know that the the kids themselves uh, schedule those meetings and everything, and. And the U.S. apparent are really not allowed in the room anymore, you know, but it, it can be a little confusing for kids because sometimes they don't fully understand what's going on. I'd like to add to that, Alberto, in that we're talking about people with disabilities with different levels of ability. There's those who can uh, do certain things and there's those um, uh people with disabilities who don't have the uh, cognitive ability to make their own appointments. Um, in my son's case, he can never make his own appointments. That would That's not something that he would ever be capable of doing. And, and so that's why a guardianship and a conservatorship is really very important early on. 
because to this day, he's 30 years old. He could never make his own medical, dental, um, hearing appointments. He needs assistance with that. And, and, and so I'd really, you know, encourage parents with um, more severe disabilities to really get that guardianship and that conservatorship in place early on before they turn 18 years old and uh, um, society and, and this structure, you know, dictates that they're on their own because some of these people with disabilities will never be on their own. They'll never live um, independent lives. They're always going to need support. And so it's important as parents to get um, those things in place uh, before they turn 18 years old. Okay. Great advice. Thank you so much, Jody, And thank you so much for this conversation. I think it's so important um, for us to touch on these, on these topics. Um, Sherry, you did talk a little bit about um, relationships and, and building those connections um, within the community and, and finding those folks, seeking those folks out that can offer that support. Um, and we often know that it, it can be hard to know where to go or where to get answers and support. Were there any supports you needed or relied upon during this time and how did you find them? So maybe let's delve a little bit deeper into, um, you know, finding those supports and um, um, finding those connections. My family and me moved to New Mexico right amidst all the transition year stuff. Um, we came from a state where things were very different Kids had a voice, but parents were still listened to. Um, it wasn't just the cut and dry 14 kids make the decision. Um, so it was like coming into a whole different world, moving to New Mexico for us. Mm -hmm. um, the resource structure is very different. It's not as abundant as it was where we came from. So um, in the beginning, we, we reached out to everyone. And literally in desperation, I mean, we would call CYFD and ask what, what we could do. We would, the final place that I ended up calling, and this is not how it should be, but the final place that I ended up calling and getting the most help and the most resources was the Juvenile Justice Department. Yeah. And um, they were able to connect me with Family Peer Services, who then were able to help guide me through the systems here in New Mexico. Um, we'd already been advocating for our kids for a long time, so that was not something that was difficult for us. But when you're navigating systems that are as sparse as New Mexico's resources in our royal communities, um, it, it really is hard to figure out who to reach out to and who can help. Um, one of the resources that you can utilize is your insurance company should be able to refer you to family peer services. Um, mm -hmm. Medicaid is the only insurance provider right now that does pay for the family peer services, but there's organizations in the state that do offer the services free of charge, even if your insurance doesn't participate, um, depending on what part of the state you're in. Um, but reaching out to like 
UNM was very, very helpful to me in finding resources. And like NAMI was very helpful in finding resources. So the main agency that helped me the most um, is no longer independently run. It's now part of UNM. But the Families ASAP, I could have never made it through the systems in the beginning without them. The big piece is finding other parents who are going through similar things mm -hmm. or who have been through similar things. Um, the camaraderie you get with the connections that you make with other parents that, you know, you're going to pediatricians that are saying things like, why do you let your kid do that? But when you're talking to another parent whose child is doing that, they know you're not letting them do whatever that is. They know that it's part of what your child's going through and part of the struggles your family's having. And um, finding that judgment-free zone is the best way to find the resources by connecting with other parents, um, looking for support groups, um, reaching out to organizations that deal with your child's disability um, is often a really good resource. Um, and just don't give up. We do have good resources here in New Mexico. They're not always easy to find. And they're not always right next to you. But we do have good resources. So don't give up. Keep asking questions. Keep talking to other people who experience the same thing you and your family are going through and try really hard to get family peer services because the support that they provide, it, it's a person with lived experience that has also raised a child or is raising a child and they are navigating the systems, you know, they've been there, done that. And that will make your process so much easier. Just making those connections with people with experience. Thank you so much, Sherry. Does anybody else have something they'd want to add? Anything they'd like to add? Well, I'd like to um, promote a couple of programs that do help uh, camaraderie with other parents. There's the Adaptive Sports Program in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. They have a ski program where they work with uh, students and adults with disabilities. Um, they have a water sports program, they have uh, a rock climbing program, and that's a great place for recreation for students and adults with disabilities, but it's also a great place for parents to meet other parents with students and children with um, disabilities, and, and it, it, it's very positive in that it provides therapeutic recreational activities for adults and, and children with disabilities. And then I'd, uh, I'd like to really compliment um, Gay Finlandson with the UNM uh, Autism Program. She's been an advocate for us for several years. And oftentimes as a parent, when you're advocating with your son, it's very hard to be effective and to be, um, um, to make meaningful uh, points because you're emotionally tied to your um, adult child or a, 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 your student with disabilities, and it can be very emotional, and uh, you're advocating for them, asking for services. 
And sometimes your emotions get the best of you and you are not able to articulate the needs. And so uh, it's really great when you do have a wonderful advocate um, that can help you articulate and formulate uh, the conversation to get the services that you need for your student and to articulate it in a way that is positive and not and that and does not get lost in the emotion. Awesome. Yes, we do love gay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jody. Yeah, I love her too. She's amazing. She is amazing. Anybody have anything else they'd like to add? Great, great. Well, this has been such a great conversation. And um, one more, one more sort of wrap up question here. Um, families often look to those who have traveled the journey before them for guidance and insight. And I, we've talked a little bit about this in our conversation today. Um, we're only really touching the surface of, of your wisdom, wisdom and experience today. So as we kind of come to an end, can you each share one thing that you know now that you wish you knew then? I guess I'll go first. Um, okay. I just remind parents that you are your child's strongest advocate. Mm -hmm. And to be a strong advocate, you sometimes have to be assertive and uh, remind um, public school officials of what they are legally required to provide. And don't let public school officials intimidate you or bully you. Hold them accountable for the services that they are legally required to provide and don't let up. Because if you let up, your, your student won't get the services. Um, I have experience in my um, own life with uh, advocating for my, for my two boys that public uh, school officials will provide you with less than the minimum required. And if you let them do so, um, and don't hold them accountable, they'll get away with it. And they don't like to be held accountable. And it's challenging. It's, it's, and that's where it's really important to have a strong advocate on your side. Um, because if you're alone in a meeting and you have seven public school officials uh, and you're alone without an advocate, it's very hard because you can, you can really feel ganged up upon. So it's worth it to have an advocate. Take that advocate with you. And remember, if you don't advocate for your child, nobody else will. Thank you so much for that advice, Jody. Sherry? I think, I think everything Jody just shared was definitely very, very important. The one other thing that I'd like to add that I wish I'd have known sooner um, would be the self-care component. Um, it is so vital as parents and caregivers that we are doing things for ourselves for self-care. And that doesn't just have to be meditating or, you know, take time to read the book, take time to go for the walk alone. Make sure you make time for you, because if you're not taking care of you, you're not going to be in any position to help your child. And Recently, I've had a conversation with my 19-year-old daughter who is 
still transitioning into adulthood. And she shared with me that one of the most valuable things that she learned um, later years, because I was not good at it early on, but later years was the value and importance of me taking care of myself. Um, she used to be resentful when I started to do those things. Um, but ultimately, in the end, when she looks back, she realizes that is what helped kept me going so that I could continue to be there for her and to support her even when things got really, really difficult. And when I was taking care of myself, it helped me to check my emotions at the door and to advocate on the facts and um really it really made a difference in how I advocated for my kids just always 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 take care of all aspects of your person think of it as the whole person you know you you want to be doing self-care physically but mentally and spiritually and socially all of the aspects need to be looked at and don't forget them because that is one of the most important things that you can do for your kiddos Self-care is so extremely important on so many levels. Thank you so much for that reminder, Sherry. Alberto? Yes. Um, I guess one thing that I didn't know back then and I, and I know now is that there are some um, family peer organizations that can help you with the um, with the process, you know, with... Uh, connecting to resources and all of that. Uh, I wished I had known uh, Family SASAP, which um, Sherry uh, mentioned earlier. I wished I had came across this organization when my kid uh, was growing up. Uh, for us, it was a very difficult uh, road. Um, we looked everywhere. We could not find any any help, any resources. And maybe we were not looking in the right place or maybe we didn't know how to go about it. But mm -hmm. but it was a lonely fight, you know, for us. Mm -hmm. um, we had to learn everything by trial and error. And uh, we had to learn skills and develop skills uh, all throughout and um, so that's one thing that I wished I had known back then, that, that there are uh, agencies, you know, like that that can help you. And the other thing that now, that I understand now and that I would like to leave the listeners with, uh, if I can leave them with one, with one thing, would be that they don't have to take no for an answer. Um, Raising a child, a child with a disability is, um, is a lot of work. And sometimes it even feels like it's you against the world. But not giving up and remembering that what you do or don't do will have a direct impact on your child's future and well-being is what will keep you going um, uh, forever. You know, just don't ever give up. And don't ever take no for an answer. Wow, such powerful advice. And and we just appreciate all the work that, that you all do for our communities. Um, and thank you so much uh, for being here with us today. Um, I just I want to thank again our brilliant panel for joining me today. 
on autism conversations. Um, I also want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in today as our panel has shared several creative tips to support parents and guardians of children with autism. Um, speaking of resources, we do invite you to check out our other podcast on Autism Programs Portal and on Spotify. Um, if you are seeking autism-based resources and supports, please contact the Autism Family Provider Family and Provider Resource Team at 505-272-1852. If you are on social media, please visit the Center for Development and Disability Facebook page. Um, be sure to like our page and follow us. Um, we post links for accessing our podcasts as well as trainings and upcoming events and things like that. So um, again, my name is Lynn Wilson, and we hope you join us next time for another segment of Autism Conversations. Thanks again. <laughs>